Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. This week, we're going to review Blurry Creatures podcast episode number 42 with Dr. Laura Sanger, her second appearance. And then we're also going to review kind of a contrarian point of view regarding spiritual mapping. I came across a a video from Justin Peters where he was sort of debunking and skeptical of the need and practice of spiritual mapping, and that's something that Dr. Laura Sanger has talked about a good deal. And so I wanted to kind of go through and explore what were some of those objections that Justin and his guest had and see if we can try to look at it from a biblical point of view and see where they're coming from and maybe see if there's some sort of uh, balance that we as believers should take with keeping the sufficiency of Scripture in mind, but also allowing God to be God and to be original with each one of us. Yeah, so I thought we could talk a bit about uh, Dr. Laura Sanger's uh, second appearance on Blurry Creatures, uh, episode 42 of Blurry Creatures. Um, I don't think it was quite as in-depth as maybe her first one, although she does give some more background on Jekyll Island and some of that history, so that's good. And then some bloodline stuff. Um. So just a brief kind of overview of some of the some of the things she mentions. So she talks about the circumpunct, which is a symbol of a circle with a dot in the center. Um, wheel within a wheel, right? Yeah, that kind of thing. Um it's associated with you know the sun god Ra. Um a lot of seems like a lot of traditions use it as some sort of uh, divine or deity type of symbol. Um, Have have you ever seen The Watchmen? 
the movie The Watchmen. I've kind of wanted to watch that. What? It... Yeah, I, I have that. I can lend it to you sometime. But there, there's a guy in there named Doctor Manhattan, and he's got that symbol on his forehead. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Okay. Well, that's probably not by accident. They they had him do nope. that for the movie. Nope. Probably not. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's it's apparently very um, prevalent in in usage uh in history and uh different religions things like that um freemasonry there's a quote from uh, manly p hall from like the late 1800s uh him talking about it and he says it's like the most basic how does he put it the most basic um symbol for god or something like that <clears throat> when i was looking it up cuz i just wanted to do a little bit of research see what I could dig up about it. I found like a like a blog post or something from a random person. So th- th- this was kind of interesting. So he said, say the word God out loud and then notice where you feel it in your throat and mouth. And... He didn't put this exactly how I'm going to say it, but this is what I got out of it. So the G starts in the back, G, right? In the back. Ah, D, and it ends in the front. So it's like the the very word God is beginning, middle, and end. That's interesting. Kind of, isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Um... Yeah, so she she talks about the circumpunct and how that ties into what we're learning about with uh, the origins of the Federal Reserve and secret societies and Nephilim and all of that. Like it's there's just some mystery about the symbolism in there. She mentions that Jekyll Island has a society that existed in 4200 BC an ancient city there. So that's very interesting that there is actually people living there. Maybe Nephilim were there. Not the Tumicuans, well, which are, are the, I guess, the um, Nephilim bloodline tribe that, uh, you know, if you remember Tim Bence's testimony about the museum on Jekyll Island. They had the the paintings on the wall with these, you know, blood sacrifice things going on. So those were the Tamikians that were thought to be just Native Americans, but they were all very, very tall. So those guys lived from 1100 to 1500-ish AD. But yeah, they've, they've dated uh, some artifacts and things back to 4200 B.C., so that would have been prior to the flood, most likely, right? Because what's the est- what, yeah, yeah? What what are we call what are we calling the flood for uh, a time period? I, I guess I I've never really been aware of uh, when that was. I'm a little fuzzy on that. I'd have to look it up real quick now. But I thought it was around like if you go with without any gaps necessarily in the genealogy of Genesis. I believe it ends up being about 2500 BC, maybe 3500 BC, somewhere in there. Do you recall, Luke? 
I don't recall. Okay. I, I, that sounds a little early, a little young. Does it? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I wondered about that. I mean, especially with and then if and then when you're thinking of some of the research that's done by Randall uh, Carlson, that's and, what I was going to say. Yeah, and um, Graham Graham Hancock. You know, they were putting it this cataclysm with uh with with had floodwaters. You know, rapid floodwaters uh, catastrophe um, around. 12,800 years ago, something like that. Yeah, so that'd you know? be what, 10,000 so BC? A, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, okay. I don't know. Yeah, that's, I was just going to mention them. That's, they've made me kind of wonder, wonder about that too. But then, I mean, is it possible they can be 6,000 years off? Maybe. Some of these dating methods, I don't know. They're not necessarily all that accurate the longer you go go back um and then she also talks about elongated skulls being found in the sand dunes in georgia which are which are connected to the Tamikians. so that's interesting um yeah especially with uh paracas skulls in peru so there may have been just speculating there may have been some migration going on I mean, you think about it, it's on the East Coast. So you had the Paracas people most likely came from the Black Sea area. You know, could they have also come to like Florida and Georgia area? I think that's very likely. I would agree with that. That, that's definitely a possibility. Mm hmm. Um, one of the big things she mentions mentions was um, slavery on the on Jekyll Island, and there was uh, the French guy uh, Du Bignon, Bignon. That's hard to say. Um, and his son in the early 1800s, they actually owned the island for about a hundred years, and established um, a slave uh, plantation. Slavery, slave trade was going on there. And even slave trade was going on, I guess, um, the trade, like, with Africa and so on, maybe other nations, all nations, was banned even prior to prior to Lincoln's uh, Emancipation Proclamation, because uh, Dr. Laura mentions that it was, like, 50 years after it was outlawed, the slave trade, they were still bringing in slaves to Jekyll Island. So there's a lot of tie-in to that, I think, to... Um, you know, we're talking about the Federal Reserve and and the debt system that they built uh, being a form of slavery. And that's how Tim Benz says God says he's going to judge the banking system. He's going to treat it like slavery uh, in the U.S. and around the Civil War time and so on. So I think it, I think it has that very dark um, history. And, and then it was... Um, yeah, it was rich guys like Rockefeller and others that uh, bought the island from that the, that French family in the late 1800s. And they owned it until, I think I looked up, it was uh, about 1947. So that was the elite's playground, basically. They got to set up shop and do all the secret stuff they wanted. 
the kind of like yeah, kind of like an old Epstein Island. I was just gonna say, yeah, that's that's the original, the OG Epstein there, not in a good way. Well, what good way could it be? Yeah, and and then she talks about the um, the root word of uh, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, which was Nakash, and kind of some of the definitions of that and how that. Uh, plays into the de- deception of the the Federal Reserve banking system, you know, using using that art of deception. Um, she quotes, I think, um, Steve Quayle and Tom Horn in a book talking about the serpent being the the banker that that wrote the note, you know, kind of like the the debt we owe. I like how um, in Narnia, uh, C.S. Lewis kind of set that up, right? In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it was the the White Witch had power over Edmund because she says, by your own law, uh, if someone uh, betrays or, or commits treason, then, then a debt is owed, right? And so Aslan took, took the, the penalty there. So that's I think that's kind of that um what do they call that the ransom theory of like Christ's atonement mm-hmm. where he's like yeah, where, sure. where where Jesus is like literally paying a debt um on behalf of us I don't know if it's officially called the ransom theory but it is a, a type of ransom I mean he's paying just you know just like in um Hosea when he had to go back and buy it buy his wife back kind of this kind of the same idea hey I was going to interject something here real quick when we were talking about uh, Rockefellers and you know kind of the rich establishment and power uh, throughout all this time um, somebody brought up to me and I never noticed this before this may not even be interesting so if it's not just cut it down uh, but the the symbol on uh, Apple machinery the the apple with the bite out of it almost tends to lean towards the eden uh the biting of the fruit and i'd never noticed that before and i just you know wanted to bring that up and you know see what uh what anyone's thoughts were i've heard that too makes you wonder yeah yeah and the other uh this person that i talked to was also um uh advising that that she was pretty confident that that Apple and Microsoft did not start in someone's garage. Oh, that, right, uh, <laughs> right, and and so and that's that's highly possible. I mean, that that really. I mean, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But uh, well, think about think about Zuckerberg. But, right, he was he was right. given what fifteen twenty million dollars to start a website. You don't you don't need that kind of money to start a website. Like that was funded from somewhere. Yeah, interesting stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I was I was just chatting with um, a guy from my old church uh, today at lunch, and I can't remember how we how this came up, but he was talking about like a certain higher up in a in a company or something and symbolism, and and I said I think yeah I think they're kind of when you reach the elite of of politics or Hollywood or, you know, there tends to be a very mysterious um, type of club that uh, that they either, you know, initiate you in 
or you're you're a part of it. And I don't I don't know. I know that's that's kind of off the deep end a bit conspiratorial wise, but it's I don't think people reach some of those levels in society without playing ball. Right. And I, and I think that, I think the groups like that do exist because um, how could they not exist? I mean, if you look at where you work, there's cliques that form little groups that form. And I guarantee that groups that are way up on the, you know, the chain of command, they have groups and uh, there's more power as you go up. And so, you know, and depending on how they use that power, obviously, is whether the group is nefarious or not. Yeah, and if you think about it, like, Satan knows what our our triggers are. I mean, as uh, somebody somebody put it recently, or, or I listened to on a, on a podcast, it might have been Blurry Creatures, you know, Satan knocked it out of the park in the Garden of Eden. It might have been Mike Heiser, I can't remember. Um, you know... The, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. You know, did did God really say, and he's holding back on you, and here's what you could have. So, yeah, so whether you're, like Dr. Laura says, a Nephilim host by, you know, DNA or bloodline, or you are willingly initiating yourself into a subversive system in order to gain something selfishly, Satan is like the Santa Claus of this world, right? He's got a whole bag full of goodies he'll promise you. You know, how many times do we hear about that with, like, musicians? Yeah, where it's like so-and-so sold their soul to the devil and now they can play guitar really good. Yeah. Yeah, I I think Bob Dylan said that, didn't he? And Katy Perry said stuff like that. Have you ever heard that about Bob Dylan? No, I haven't heard about Bob Dylan. I remember the movie uh, Crossroads years ago with uh, Ralph Mach- Macchio and Steve Vai. And uh, that was uh, a, a literal selling their soul kind of a situation. I mean, right. obviously it was uh, a Hollywood story, but uh, kind of along the same lines. Yeah, Pastor Doug Riggs said, you know, in reference to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness when Satan came and offered all these riches in the world and power and all that. If you just bow down and worship me, obviously he didn't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but he said many men have had that same offer, you know, and then you look at Genesis six and the trading of, of daughters for, for wisdom, knowledge, power. So there's been many examples throughout history, even present day, there's been a, relationship with the enemy you know cashing in you know so they could get reap rewards today Mm -hmm. you know yeah i think sinister i think it's uh, um just great allegory when you look at like lord of the rings right you know the 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 seven kings of men uh above all wanted power I think it might have been nine. Nine kings of men. Nine. Who was seven? Yeah. Somebody was seven. All right. Yeah, I'm, nine I'm, kings. I don't remember. Thank you. Good, because if I was yeah. wrong there and nobody said anything, get called out. Well, then some. Yes. Well, somebody might have given you a comment then. There you I go. Know, and, uh, See, I'm just inviting out. people to chat to chat with us. Send us yeah. a message. 
Yeah, so I think there's a lot of um, dark history with uh, Jekyll Island, of course, and um, and I think that plays into the defilement of the land. And you have to think, okay, so if Rockefeller and his buddies bought that, I think it was like 1888 from the Di family um, and set up shop there and had their little club or whatever for 50-some years – um yeah that's I'm speculating that's when he would have discovered uh this perhaps discovered this Canaanite altar built his house right on top of it I'm just saying I don't think that was an accident you know but just seems like a family that uh that evil I still want to get um Fritz um Springmeyer Fritz Springmeyer's book on uh, on the bloodlines Satanic bloodlines. I think that would be very instructive. Kind of how that's gone back in history, and like Luke, you've you've called it, or the the iniquity force that's built up when you continue. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I think uh, doc, I don't know who started that term. I know Doctor Mike Kaiser has has mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were talking in the beginning, the circumpont. Yeah. Um, did you mention? Jekyll Island that there that one was found there. I uh, know, but I was. Uh, that's why I was drawn a blank on what Doctor Laura had, how she had tied that into the the Jekyll so Island. So in chapter yeah. two of her book, um, she does talk about the history of Circumpunk, different examples around the planet, um, but specifically Jekyll Island. There's one. Um, 54 miles north of the island. Okay. So I don't know where the meetings took place or where Rockefeller's house was and that altar, where that is in relation to the circumpunk, but there is definitely one on the island. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like there are certain symbols and shapes and so on that are used in a cult. Right, like sacred geometry and circles, and I don't know. There's some sort of cosmic uh, things that are that people are tapping into with these things. I don't, I don't, I don't presume to know how all that works, but you know, as Luke, Luke and I were talking about a um, a possible guest that we uh, we put on hold for the time being because there was kind of a we we discovered there's kind of a um unhealthy blend of uh new age ideas and christianity and uh and I was I was talking about that with my friend today at lunch and it's like you know one of the themes that goes through our show is what we talk about that a lot of these occult powers um you know false religions uh counterfeit gods it's not that they are necessarily, you know, figments of imagination made up or totally false. It's that they're counterfeit. So it's not like, you know, a spell doesn't work or, you know, new age psychic things don't work necessarily. It's it's that they're a counterfeit and they're dangerous and it's knowledge God doesn't want us to mess with. You know, you don't think about the corruption of the watchers, like all the knowledge that humanity wasn't meant to have, or at least wasn't ready to have and what they did with it. 
right? And I, I think I think people, uh, you know, if based on uh, boredom or wanting power, will dig into those kind of things. Right. Yeah. It it becomes. Yeah, tantalizing. Like, oh, I'll just, I'll just kind of, I, I just read that for fun, or I just, I went and got a, you know, a palm reading just for fun, and and they don't know what they're letting into their lives. Or on on top of it, um, when I was kind of talking about people getting involved in it through boredom, um, you know, I think we talked about this in the earlier episode, but Ouija boards, things like that, which uh, people tend to mess around with, and think it's a game right in reality i i don't believe it's a game no no there was um a guest of uh on uh, jed Payne's show he had a, a friend of his on was talking about his experience with a ouija board and the guy got hooked it was like a drug like he was using it every chance he got and there was one time where um he asked it like you know who who's behind this or who's doing this and it moved to the S, and it moved to the A, and it moved to the T, and it moved to the A, and then and then he like threw it, and he's like, "Nope, that's enough." <laughs> and, oh, wow. and but the funny thing was, and then he but then he said after he's like, "But then again, I'm thinking, really? So that's what Satan is doing? He's finding me in my basement? Like that's what he's busy? So it's probably some other spiritual mm-hmm. being that's you know messing with him." But he's like. That was enough to freak me out, and I'm like, I'm not using this thing again. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, switching gears a bit, because, um, Luke, I sent you that video from uh, Justin Peters, and I forget what his guest was. But they, uh, so this was in response when I was doing a little digging on spiritual mapping that um, that uh, Dr. Laura has talked about quite a bit. Um this is kind of coming from like a rebuttal side of it. And I thought it would be kind of instructive to go through some of their points and some of their um, critiques um, because they're very dismissive of it, right? So Justin Peters comes from kind of a cessationist type of background where, you know, certain spiritual gifts uh, were only for like the time around Jesus. Now, we don't necessarily have to debate that necessarily right now, but um, I think that's important to understand because he's coming from that in terms of how do we do spiritual warfare and all the, and the sufficiency of scripture and stuff like that. So one of their main points is about the sufficiency of scripture that why is it that, you know, C. Peter Wagner or some of these other authors are going to have some special bit of knowledge that is supposedly so helpful, and yet very few believers have it. It's not in the Bible. What do you guys think? I think that's a good question, but I I don't necessarily think that that's like a, you know, the death knell to 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 everything. Like Scripture has to hold everything. But I haven't read the book. All I can go on is that interview, and it seemed to me that, yeah, they were very dismissive and defensive towards what what they, that author was trying to say, or maybe it's just the, the way they were describing him mm-hmm. as if this was some kind of new revel, revelation or new ministry tactic or whatever, when I don't think, I don't think it is. 
um, I think, I don't know, maybe off some other time, me and you had talked about this. Um, I think they, uh, they're partially right and they're partially wrong. I feel like it's something, something there in the middle that yes, the word of God is powerful and the word of God is what you need to be preaching. You preach the blood, you preach the cross, you preach the full gospel and there's power in that, but there's also power in waiting on the Lord, following the, the leadings of the Holy spirit. That's exactly what Jesus did in his life. I only do what my father tells me to do the direction that he's pointing towards, you know, as far as ministry and prayer and deliverance and all that type of stuff. So it's, there's gotta be a balance of both. So to have, maybe that book was just on being led by the Lord on tearing, you know, the specific commandments in the Bible of, of tearing down altars and high places and, places that are defiled that that seemed like that was the main focus of the book but yeah yeah the the thing that they kept railing against um that apparently c peter wagner was advocating was you know that our our gospel message and evangelism and so on is going to be much more effective if we do this type of work first this spiritual warfare stuff first and so there there may be some truth to that 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 may work in certain situations but like you said Luke maybe he's overstepping maybe he's overplaying his hand there right and then conversely maybe Justin Peters is kind of underplaying it because later I listened to the the second half of that again uh, this morning and towards the end of it the two of them say you know once again it's about sufficiency of scripture um, but he said, you know, for people who are thinking that, you know, God, God has not given us enough or there, there's more to this life or Christianity than just in the Bible, you know, we have to search out other things. And then, so Justin makes the point, well, have you squeezed every drop of truth out of this book, the, the Bible? And, you know, you could spend a thousand lifetimes and never do it. Okay, true. But then to that point, couldn't some of the things that are being talked about, about deliverance, about spiritual warfare, about spiritual mapping, you know, Tim Benz, the the gatekeeping principle, couldn't you find these things? I'm not trying to, like, invent theology. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a little on shaky ground there. But... I think that there are things in Scripture we don't know how deep one little statement can be sometimes. And there's a whole, not that, you, not that we want to invent a theology, but, I, I've, you know, it's, it's God's glory to conceal a matter. He, he gives us everything we need, absolutely. The, script, the Scripture is sufficient, but could it be that you know, by being dismissive to some of these things. Because I think God can be original with us. And so one of the points they made is like, well, if we really needed to know it, it would be in there, and we we should only do things that are in there. Well, where does... So is God's only bound by only the examples he showed in his word? I don't... 
I don't know. Yeah, I I think we might have talked about this uh, earlier as well, but um, there's a lot of contemporary books that are made reference to in the Bible that are not scripture or canon. And so, you know, God can use anything and everything, I believe. And when you talked about like certain scriptures uh, being very deep and uh, that's completely true as far as I'm concerned, because I've tried to do, I've done like a study on a, you know, on a verse and I didn't take it very far, but you can understand how far you could go just on one verse, just taking it apart and meditating on it and seeing where it leads you. And you'll probably be led all over the Bible, you know, with, with just uh, one verse. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think there is more in there than we give it credit for, especially when we take things more literal. I mean, just to kind of use maybe a, a working theory, if we're talking about the land literally being defiled by certain deep sins, okay, and God using that language over and over in the Old Testament, I will heal your land. If you do this, then I will forgive your sins. I will heal your land. Why does he use that language, you know, when it's connected to something literal like, I'm going to forgive your sin? Oh, I'm also going to heal your land. Oh, but that's just figurative. So if if there's something literally true there, but from the cessationist side, they're just kind of dismissing it, right? Oh, no, that's we, we're just going to stick to the nuts and bolts, practical Christianity not get caught up in all this woo-woo stuff. And I know it's it's more dangerous, right? When we start going down this path of trying to get I, I think yeah. Yeah, I think it can only get dangerous if if you walk off that plank of, you know, okay, the gospel's over here, I'm more advanced than that now and I'm going to look at this. Oh, I think right. if you get I think if you get into that mindset then then you're in dangerous territory. But I, I think if one is grounded in scripture and as, as these subjects are talked about, you know, they're talked about in a way where we are showing, you know, respect and uh, continuity with scripture. I think that, you know, I don't, and maybe I, I might be mistaken too, but. Uh, yeah. But as long as you're always keeping that in mind, you're maybe not doing it as a hermit. You're, you know, you're not trying to trying to be solo with oh I think I've come up with something new from the Bible you know right. you bring it to other people um so yeah I think this I think the Bible is definitely sufficient for everything we need um but you think about just the individual ways that God can work in someone's life or show them something you know, I mean, let's let's just give the benefit benefit of the doubt. If if Tim Benz's experience with the murders in his city, you know, having to do with the gatekeeping principle, what is is that just coincidence? I mean, the fact that seven or eight Christian leaders could repent and affect a city. Um, Why not? I mean, that, yeah. that's scriptural, right? That's what I what, think. Yeah, what, wasn't it? Uh, 
Abraham that was petitioning God for for Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, if there is only you know, twenty righteous, fifteen righteous, ten righteous, exactly. You know, so so to me, yeah, he could have went further in the numbers, but that tells me that God was willing for a remnant's sake or for the power of the remnant, you know, to prevent judgment. Or if the remnant got on their face on behalf of a community, a nation, a, a, you know, an area, the power they have. So, right. You know, I, I was, I was thinking of a possible title for our talk. Um, the devil loves dogma because I think he does. But then I thought, okay, well, let's look up the word dogma. It's kind of like you were unyielding and you were saying this thing here, I am absolutely will not entertain anything different than this belief or opinion. Now we would hold to that with certain tenets of who God is, who Jesus is, how salvation works, you know, basic stuff. We would we would probably be classified um, as being dogmatic. So I don't necessarily think there's that word has to only have a negative connotation. But in large degree, what do you guys think of this? It do you think the devil loves dogma in in general? Because it gets people on one side of a fence or the other. If you say, nope, these things don't happen today, now you've completely cut them off. Or if you, if you are on the other side, you've, you've cut off. You know what I mean? So you can get someone, like Luke said, somewhere in the middle is probably where the truth resides from conservative or liberal kind of supernatural bent of Christianity. Well, I mean, look at the tactic he used with Adam and Eve. He used God's word, and you could kind of say in a dogmatic type of method with deception, with, you know, the intent to divide that word neg- you know, in, a, in a false way. You know, did he really mean it like that? You know, it's like, you know, and then, okay, well, I'm going to bring you to this way of thinking. So you could take all these different scriptures dogmatically, and you're saying, could that be used by the enemy? And I would say yes. And that's probably what's caused church divisions, new denominations to be formed. You sprinkle, I immerse when it comes to baptism. Right. You know, all these different things that we focus as being so important to the point that we're willing to break off fellowship with our brothers and sisters and start a new congregation elsewhere. Hmm. So. Right. uh, Yeah. Yeah, because because with church splits, it's always... It's always something that has to do with the faith itself and um, and what people's preference, preferences are and and their interpretations of how scripture should be uh, practiced. Yeah, one go ahead. 
No, I was just agreeing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and one thing they do too is they, they actually insult uh, having a word of knowledge in that little 30 minute clip. Um, I'll try to remember to post uh, post a link to that. People can can check it out and see what they think. I don't remember them doing that. But yeah, it was funny. If, it's funny that they would. Yeah, because they they were so adamant on the word being what the foundation when the word of knowledge gifting is in the word. Mm. So. You want you talking about squeezing all the truth out of the word? Well, the gifting of a word of knowledge is right there in the word for him to squeeze out and understand how the Lord will use the gift of knowledge okay. to to minister and to bear fruit for His glory. Right? No, I know. I I agree with you. I think they they mocked it, and it was very brief in the middle of that. Um, I think they mocked it because they're coming from a cessationist point of view. So they're looking at what you're, it, they would answer you what you just said as, oh, that was for the past. But it's like, <laughs> these examples happen, you know, word of knowledges happen, healings happen. You know, Dr. Laura got healed from, um, by Charles Kraft. She was taking a class at Fuller Seminary. She got healed of her her heart murmur that she had had all her life. Every doctor told her she had a heart murmur, and then it was gone, you know. Or I think of a, a pastor's wife at my old church. I used to go to Vineyard, and they had a Jehovah's Witness come to the door, and she got a word of knowledge about something about that person being involved in music and had kind of given it up in the past. And I mean, is that not the way, like, okay, we can have our debate about Christianity versus Jehovah Witness. You get a word of knowledge from, from God. What does that say, right, about who the true God is? And you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's just like God to use that for his glory. And, and uh, yeah. I know Tim Bentz and our, our talk with him that you just aired, um, he brought up an example of the Lord given him, you know, information about that girl that he was... Yeah, what she was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, you know. So, now, it takes wisdom to know when to speak something if you receive knowledge, because not all knowledge is meant to be shared. Maybe you intercede and you pray. Um, But... uh, yeah, it takes maturity. It does. It does. It's not as clean cut, and maybe that's why there is, there will always be, a group of Christians in the world who gravitate towards a more safer, conservative type of Christianity, right? Where they kind of dismiss some of this more supernatural, strange stuff. There will always. But I think. Yeah. I, I think. I think you're right. And but the riskier you are, it takes more faith. It's true. And and what does the Bible say? He said, "Is without faith, it's impossible to please Him." You know, so you're having to walk by faith, not knowing, or you by trial and error, you learn to to know 
what you're hearing, which, and that was in our conversation with Tim as well, you know, learning how to listen. And, um, yeah, so I think, I think a lot of people, it's, it's easy to just stay conservative and stay comfortable and not step out and not try to exercise certain giftings. And not everybody has the same giftings either. Right. That's true too. And, Okay, so you stay in your your safety of the dogmatic principles that that we all believers will adhere to the basics, right? We don't want to waver on that, and that's uh, that's good. But right, you're not if if you're not risking anything beyond that, how are you growing? How are you challenging yourself? How are you stepping out? Um, one thing that that the two guys uh, claim, Justin Peters and the other guy. Um, is that the gospel in itself doesn't need anything else to make it more effective. And while that sounds correct, I'm sure they would agree. If, let's say, I'm praying for a certain person or a certain group of people or a certain city, and I'm fervently praying, you know, day after day for years, we would, I think you and I, you guys and I, would hope and expect that the people of that group or that area we would we would see some greater measure or some evidence of God opening up that atmosphere to them being more receptive of the gospel than had I or others not done that. I remember hearing a story of um, people were doing street evangel- evangelism on one corner and other people were doing it on another corner and like right across the street from each other. And one, the people around them were very agitated and and antagonistic, didn't want to hear it, very hateful. The other side, right across the street, was interested and listening and open. And again, this was years ago, I heard this story, and it's anecdotal, of course, but, but there was uh, some degree of preparation that had gone on to this other side of the street as far as prayer or praise and, and something in, in the spiritual was done and it was literally tangible across the street. They could notice it. Same, you know, preaching going on. Um, so I, yeah, I think these things, these things go on. We can't be, you know, dogmatic on one side or the other or dismiss it. Um, and, and now, you know, is it a form of Gnosticism though, that, that someone like C. Peter Wagner has this special thing that, that God is showing him? That's a fair question, you know, but then like, like Luke, what you were saying, like, I think we can affirm that a lot of these strange things are in the Bible, we just haven't squeezed every drop out of it yet. Well, I mean, look at look at what took place, right? You, we're in Holy Week, you know. So you think about the gospel, um, and then Jesus appears to as many as five five hundred after the resurrection, right? So, and then he's gone. He's gone to heaven, you know, and he was he was seen going up to heaven so you could say they had the gospel they had lived the gospel they had the ability to share that good news with everybody they met you remember that jesus yeah we just saw him 
you know he's alive really wow you know but what did jesus say wait wait so did they share the good news during the waiting process i don't know bible doesn't say but he did say wait till you receive power from on high that is going to assist you in sharing the gospel so days turn into weeks and then you have pentecost the the feast of pentecost came and the literal holy ghost came on them and empowered them to share the gospel silver and gold have i none peter said but such as i have rise up and walk so they were endowed with power so the principle that the they had the gospel it wasn't written yet they hadn't wrote it yet but they lived it right they they walked with jesus they saw jesus die they saw him raised from the dead they had the gospel they were life participants testimony they 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 lived it eyewitness accounts but yet the lord told them to tarry to wait till you get something else and they were told to wait in jerusalem and what did they do there they prayed so there was a foundation of prayer that took place before this evangelistic movement took place where 3000 was added to the body of christ on the day of pentecost so there was so you give the example of the street corner type of thing maybe maybe they were led by the lord or they're using that same principle okay this is scheduled we need we need all the help we can get and let's let's bathe this thing in prayer you know let's contend for uh you know heaven for this area that this would be successful that we'd have an open heaven that we'd have a portal of god's glory would come down that the angels would be empowered to assist us and they would just bathe it in prayer and then they went out and did the work you know and then it wasn't as much work the work was done up front with all the praying and that's and that's what you see taking place in the book of acts is they were tearing and praying seeking god's face and then the day of pentecost comes they're endowed with power they're sharing the gospel and you know different people are hearing it the hebrew tongue in their own languages and it was a supernatural thing and so there definitely is a balance between the supernatural being led by the holy spirit the gospel being preached and you can't discount discount one with uh, you know one tactic yeah it's not so. right it's the whole thing it's not one separate from the other right it's not oh we only believe what's in this book and well, the bible also well then. Says there's a scripture that says where the letter killeth the spirit makes alive mm -hmm. so even though the gospel is truth if and I know the word does not will not return void. There's another scripture that talks about that. But there's there's something to be said of a holy heart, uh, a humble heart, a heart that is right relationship with the Lord that can be anointed, empowered, and strengthened to have better results than if you're just, you know, 
Yeah. Do living however. Exactly. Right. Well, the I'm, the the prayer of a the faith of a righteous man availeth much. Avails. Yeah. Yeah, man, good points. You know, it's it's like listening to their talk the second time. You know, I was thinking of more of this stuff like, yeah, but and yeah, thank you Luke. That really helps to kind of unpack that a little bit and yeah, it is a it is a balance to be able to walk between um, you know, kind of the dogma that we want to hold on to, the good dogma, I'd say, and also you know, trying to go deeper with the Lord while having more discernment and, you know, trying to not get tripped up or distracted into things that don't matter. So. And as Tim Bentz is teaching us, and and we've learned probably prior to that, you know, being in God's perfect will is what we should be seeking every single day. Mm -hmm. You know, and that might require us to open our heart more and and get healed in areas that we didn't even know you know we had issues right um you know and and sometimes it just it's going to take more intercession on our part before we actually go do the works of sharing the gospel so there there's got to be that relationship and that being led jesus is our example so we got to be led by him through his spirit every day to be in his perfect will and um and that's the challenge that's what we're we're trying to do every day we should be trying to do every day and that's why he had 30 years of preparation right and only three years of ministry i mean there's 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 seasons for that too there's seasons for that evangelism and so on yeah, really good stuff. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember the point you were gonna bring up when Pete cut out? Um, it it actually got really covered uh, during your answer, uh, okay. so okay. it kind of yeah. At this point, no. <laughs> it's all <laughs> it's it's all succinct yeah. now. All right. Well, very good. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, we'll wrap up there, and uh, I'll make sure to post that link. Don, um, you can check that out. See what you think. Um, I was going to put you on the spot, Don, and ask kind of what you thought about the cessationist point of view or, or all of that, but we can save that for another time. But, um, yeah, good discussion, good things to, to think about and kind of sharpen each other with. So, Well, the, the, one, thing, the one thing, if you were going to put me on the spot, which I, that's totally cool with me, um, but you, but you have to define cessationist for me. Uh, okay, so. so as in it's ceased the from the root word ceased. So saying yes. saying that some of these spiritual gifts like healing, prophecy, you know, maybe tongues, things like that, uh, that these things were only used to emphasize and give God's authority to you know the people around. Uh, Jesus time disciples apostles and and basically those that wrote canon of scripture and then God basically shut off the valve and is not doing those things because it served its purpose so that would be a cessationist I I'm not a cessationist because uh, I would have to be omnipotent to know those things for sure well it 
well said well said because i was i was just gonna say so luke luke you remember um every blurry creatures episode uh mike heiser says if one person is right it busts the paradigm it's like if one person is healed it busts the system in 2023 yes it busts that theory that it was just for the book of acts time exactly Exactly. or if one person gets baptized in the holy ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues then uh, you know we got a billion people on this planet you know you can't tell me there's not one person that is just totally sold out to God and willing to do whatever they need to do to, mm-hmm. right? You know, and like how progress. the how the yep. heck do we don't know if some missionary somewhere is given a language of that tongue in some tribe that he's never studied? We don't know. Yeah, you know. I mean, you hear stories. At least I have, of, and it's see why it happens in third world countries and on missionary trips and stuff like that. The amazing healings and stuff. I know one I've heard test testimony of that. They've been, they've, they've got people that have raised from the dead wow. uh, in their ministry. Wow. You know, and unlike here, the, the culture and how they bury them and stuff, the people, the family, they have more opportunity to touch and to interact with their dead loved one than we do now. Whereas, you know, they're cold in the bed. You call the cops, you call the fire, the coroner shows up, they take them to the morgue, you know, there's less interaction here, whereas they might be preparing the body, putting oils and spices, and it might be a little bit of a, a time and before they'll, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a different culture. And um, I don't know. So we, what we, what we don't know, we don't know. Yeah. And we can't dismiss what we don't know. That's for sure. Um, it makes me think of the town that Jesus couldn't do many miracles in. I don't. I don't want to be in that part of America, you know, where I'm, where I'm quenching the spirit by my disbelief, and now I'm not seeing as many miracles. You know, but right. Yeah, um, we need to be willing to. Okay, to yield, and you know, if you want it to happen in my life or in my community uh, i i want to see it i want to be part of it you know or or an active participant for sure you know so mm-hmm. all right anything else guys not for that's, me that should do it huh all right good discussion thanks for thanks for your time guys appreciate it um i know it was a little bit more unscripted i didn't quite have as many notes for uh dr laura's uh second episode but um, I think kind of talking about this uh, efficient or sufficiency of scripture idea, answering maybe some objections to the spiritual mapping stuff, I think is instructive. And even if we don't have definitive answers, it's good to it's good to talk them through. You know, kind of challenge it a little bit. So, all right. Well, happy uh, Resurrection Week, uh, Passover Day today, right? Monday, Thursday, I guess. Luke, Passover was yesterday. Passover, yeah. So, okay, so this is funny because my coworker said his calendar said yesterday, but my calendar that I printed out at work that I hang up on the wall said today. So, I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> I'm going to look through at another place that I have it right, All right. now. All we know is tomorrow's Good Friday, 
And I did. Yeah, we do. I did hear. Well, when this episode airs, it won't be Good Friday tomorrow, but when we're recording. Yeah. But I did hear one theory that um, possibly the three days, you know, later resurrection, he actually could have possibly been crucified on Thursday night. I heard one possible theory of that. I uh, don't know if that's true, but anyway. Happy Resurrection Sunday week, everybody. And with that, we will sign off and see you next time. Sounds good. See you next Take time. You've been listening to the Days of Noah podcast. Thanks for tuning in again this week. We appreciate you listening. Don't forget to like, share, and follow us on your favorite podcast app. And leave a positive review. It really helps grow the channel. As always, you can contact us with any questions or comments for the show at thedaysofnoahpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, and see you next week. Mm-hmm.